Do you wish it was easier managing your company's finances? Why is filing accounts so painful? Well, that's the reason we've partnered with Intuit QuickBooks, who make it really easy for founders and their companies to stay on top of their finances. And that goes for sole traders too. QuickBooks can save up to seven hours a week on your finance admin. Seven hours! They do a bunch of things to help. Whatever stage of your business, from centralizing all your docs for your self-assessment to making it easy to do payroll for your staff, from invoicing to effective time tracking. QuickBooks is a one-stop shop that gives you the tools you need to take care of your business. But they also provide an end-to-end view of your company's financials, which means you can make better business decisions. It's simple to use. You can get started in just 15 minutes. So if you want to take control of your finances, then head to quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. That's quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. I hit the fundraising road with the business that we do have, the traction that we do have, reach out to about 250 VCs, get responses from about 100 of them, end up speaking to about 50 of them, get to second and third stage with about 10. By the end of all of that, you still got to just a big bunch of no's, right? A pile of no's. That's Alex Rainey, co-founder of travel insurer and planning app Pluto, which he founded in 2018. They raised a total of £1.3 million and grew to be the UK's second highest rated travel insurer and one of the top three planning apps on the App Store in travel. In September 2022, just a couple of months before we recorded this episode, Alex and his co-founder sold the company after failing to raise in a brutal fundraise. If you're looking for some great advice on raising capital from someone who has learned from his mistakes, you're going to want to keep on listening. From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our bite-sized series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because we learn a lot more from failure than success, but we hardly ever hear about it. We're changing that with the help of entrepreneurs like Alex sharing their worst moments. Now, when it started out in 2018, Pluto was marketed as travel insurance for people that don't like insurance. While Alex and his co-founder Harry Williams always had the idea of being a broader travel player in the back of their minds, they chose insurance because there weren't that many disruptors in that space at the time. They saw great traction, raised three quarters of a million pounds and grew their team to eight over the next couple of years. And then the pandemic hit. We go back to the drawing board, really, to this original strategy that we had of this wider travel vision, how can we be the home for all of your travel plans? So in a weird way, the pandemic was actually a bit of a blessing in disguise because looking back, there were lots of problems with the travel insurance offering. It's a really small UK market, especially from a kind of VC perspective. The business was really hard to scale from a kind of regulatory and operational standpoint, really hard to launch in other countries. The engagement and retention you have with insurance customers is is pretty terrible, especially when you compare it to most consumer things. Margins are terrible. Acquisition mechanics are terrible. You put all those things together and it's not the recipe for a great idea. If we thought about the new direction that we wanted to head in, offering a travel planning app, then you get a global audience from day one. You can open up multiple revenue streams. And there were some players in the market, which is always a good sign, but no one had really cracked it yet, which is also kind of interesting in itself. So we spent the next six months then kind of hunkering down. Then in late 2020, towards the end of that year, we launched this new version of the travel planning app. 
And things then start to go well again. We're seeing our user base grow 10x from about 2K active users to about 20K. We're seeing decent retention and engagement. And then we raise another 550K to significantly extend the runway, which was you know, not what we expected necessarily to do during the pandemic. So then we get to Jan 2022, we've made lots of iterations to the app. Engagement and retention has improved a little bit. We've got a slightly clearer idea about monetization but it's come round again to needing to fundraise. So Alex hit the fundraising road with the business. He contacted 250 VCs. Out of those, he got replies from 100 and spoke to half of them. But the conversations just didn't go well. And one after the other ended up in a no. You know, when you start getting to the 30th, 40th no, it's really hard because you're trying to fight this in your head. But that's, that's what you're expecting to happen. You're sort of expecting that to be the default answer. And then when you get the occasional one that takes you to a second or a third stage, you obviously get an incredible boost. There's no no other feeling quite like it when, when you suspect that a VC is interested in taking the conversation further and, and you feel them getting behind you and you get one of the VCs as an ambassador within the firm to kind of go go behind with you to the next meeting. That's a really, really positive feeling. But by the end... Yeah, you're sort of just expecting the nose and it's the worst thing because it probably changes how you're pitching, how you're coming across. And I'm sure by the 50th meeting, you know, you really hope that they don't, but I'm sure they can tell a little bit to say like, this founder is at the end of the line. And you're coming out of these conversations, 45 minute pitches with a VC where you're just being raked over the coals, you know, in the best way possible. But they're really challenging you, your business, your team, all of your thinking. Um, and you do that a hundred times, 50 times. And these intelligent people come back to you at the end of it and say, you know, we're not going to invest in your business. We don't think it's a good idea because of X, Y, and Z. You know, you hear that 50 times. It really starts to wear down. And you know, I think it's really, really difficult to, to keep the light in, in your heart and to keep going and to keep fighting. And different founders will each have their time when, when they call it quits, when they ring the bell. For me, that was, you know, those 250 plus reaching out, 100 responses, 50 meetings. And that for me, I, I couldn't really go much further. And it just felt like we were I'd exhausted all our options and a sale was the best thing to do. And then I'm now going through the kind of very sobering process of liquidating the parts of the business that we weren't able to sell. And, and that's kind of where we bring, to, bring ourselves to today. There were factors outside their control when it came to the failure of that fundraise. The fundraising climate itself has deteriorated rapidly this year. Many founders have felt that, especially in the consumer space. And let's not forget the pandemic. But then if we put aside the factors that were outside of our control, then you know, we've got to take some responsibility for some of the things that went wrong. The fact that no one had succeeded and dominated in our space meant that the bar for VCs was really, really high when they thought about the kind of retention and engagement and even monetization that we wanted to see. So that was a really naive thing kind of going in looking back. And then again, kind of going back to our own numbers, you know, we kind of had mediocre product market fit, mediocre retention and engagement. So you couple that with a high bar for VCs and you suddenly see why they just didn't have the risk appetite to invest in, in kind of what we we're offering. In a word, the fundraising process was and always is to some degree, you know, fairly brutal. And if I look back at the, the raise that I went out to try and do in January, and that was by far the hardest raise that I've ever had to try and do, partly because, well, it didn't work and the fundraisers I did before did work. But I think more importantly, the audience was totally different. The audience before 
was angels, was crowdfunding, was syndicates, and we were in a much earlier stage. So the types of things that those types of investors were looking for at that stage of business, you can you can talk to and give them confidence just, just through who you are and the experience you have and, and some of the early milestones you've got. When you start going to VCs and you're asking for £2 million, the kind of questions you get, the kind of analysis that's being done of your business, the level of intelligence from investors, it all suddenly becomes much, much higher. You kind of go from, from the lower leagues to the Premier League. You know, that you're suddenly in this top kind of much higher calibre of, of conversation and rigour and challenging to your business. You can't talk the talk beyond them anymore. Some founders may be able to, but, you know, the facts don't lie. And if, in our case, the retention the engagement, the product market fit, the monetization, if that doesn't stack up in addition to your story and your vision, then you're not going to go anywhere. It's a kind of hard reality you've got to face that, you know, maybe this thing that you've spent years building isn't actually such a good idea or or in the current shape that it is with you at the helm, it isn't an investable business and, and that can be a tough pill to swallow. Looking back, one of the things that Alex thinks he could have done better was their pitch strategy. Definitely some meetings went, went really well. And if I tried to break those apart and think about why some went well and why some others didn't, in addition to just debriefing with yourself and, and kind of decompressing after all of the different pitch meetings, I really think that the the more classic go in, talk through your pitch deck, a little bit more functional, cover off all the different bases. You know, I don't think those those conversations really were that successful. And probably didn't give enough opportunity for me as a founder of my personality to come across and the kind of kernels of your idea, the kernels of why you, why this is something you want to work on for the next five, 10 years. And you sort of end up going into a little bit of a script. And if you do 30 over two or three weeks, you probably sound quite scripted by the end of it, Whether you, even if you try really, really hard not to. If I think about the other meetings where the investor would be like, you know, no, like, I want to look at your pitch deck. Just, you know, talk me through from the beginning. And you have a much more kind of off the cuff conversation, then actually a lot of those conversations went much further. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a good lesson for other founders and certainly for myself going forward is that, you know, try, try to put the pitch deck down in those first few meetings, try to build a relationship with the person that you're speaking to and try to get them really excited, as excited as you are about what it is that you're building. I think that could have been, I think that kind of pitch strategy could have been much better. Although Pluto didn't survive the fundraising round, Alex learned some valuable lessons. If you're looking to your next fundraise, Alex has some advice for you. If I was going to do something now, when I speak to other founders now, the kind of things that I'm asking them to kind of challenge them on and make sure they're in the the best place possible is, one of them is, if no one else is really in the space that you're playing in and you think you have this really unique idea um, and there aren't many competitors around, you need to think really long and hard about why that's the case because there's probably a really, really good reason for that. It's very unlikely that you're the first person to come across something. If I think about our travel planning app, there were lots of them around, but none of them had succeeded. And the result of that is that VCs had an exceptionally high bar because they just thought this is a really uncrackable problem. So if you're you're coming up with something completely new and there aren't many competitors around or it's a really kind of infant industry, then... You know, you're going to be going into conversations where the bar is going to be much, much higher because people don't get it what you're trying to do and they haven't seen that success story in this space yet. So I think think through that much more if you're if you're doing something that not many, not many other people are doing. Uh, I think over investing in growth 
uh, at all costs before you get to product market fit is now heavily frowned upon. Um, and we did that at some stages for sure. So definitely guilty of that. We definitely wasted way too much time and money investing in, in growth, especially paid marketing. I don't mean investing in thinking about growth, investing too much in paid growth and just kind of artificially driving rapid growth effectively through a leaky bucket is a pretty terrible strategy. VCs and investors will be able to see through that very, very quickly when they start to see your numbers. And if they see you funneling your your investors' money into growth channels for a product that has very, very weak product market fit or no product market fit, then that just says a lot about how you think about how you're going to grow the business. And, and that's just totally unsustainable, especially now where there's just a lot more rigor kind of being applied over, over business models. And I think the final thing is, and we didn't have this kind of completely buttoned out in the early days, but what is your go-to market? What is your kind of core growth channel? And in the really, really early stages, you need to have a really clear idea about what that is. And if you don't know what it is, then you need to experiment and drive really, really quickly towards finding out what that thing is. Because VCs, I think now more than ever, are going to challenge you and say, you know, where do you expect to see that efficient growth coming from? Because it can't just come from money. Alex Rainey on things you might want to think about for your next fundraise. You've been listening to our bite-sized series on failure and I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. If you want to hear more stories of failure, setbacks and how they impact success, then give us a follow on your podcast app and share the episode with someone who needs to hear it. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.